You're listening to a sermon podcast from Redemption Hill Church, recorded at one of our worship services. I'm reading from Luke chapter 2, uh, verses 36 to 38. Verse 36, And there was a prophetess, Anna, the daughter of Phanael, of the tribe of Asher. She was advanced in years, having lived with her husband seven years from when she was a virgin, and then as a widow until she was 84. She did not depart from the temple, worshipping with fasting and prayer night and day. And coming up at that very hour, she began to give thanks to God and to speak of Him to all who were waiting for the redemption of Jerusalem. These are the true words of the living God. Thank you. Thanks, Jacob. Uh, it's been so good uh, to be here uh, this weekend. I was here in September the last time and uh, so good to be back again. And I was just thinking this morning about how uh, sometimes I've uh, traveled uh, to, to the States to meet my cousins and I meet them maybe once in 10 years. Uh, but when we meet, it's family. And it feels the same way when you travel to a different country and you come to a church. Uh, we, we don't know each other, but we're family and it feels like home. So it's so good to be here. And uh, this morning I want to speak to you on uh, graciously growing older. And you might wonder why I'm doing that, because this congregation seems so young. And uh, you might be thinking to yourself, I don't need to hear this, I'm, I'm quite young, and you might be in your 40s as you think that, you know, and I want to tell you, maybe you're not that young. Uh, but, but this is the message uh, we need to hear as early in life as possible. Uh, how do we graciously grow older? Uh, I wanna, uh, the 11 years ago, there was an advertisement uh, that, uh, that ran this way. There's a, it began with an older man, and the narrative went this way. Life should be the other way around. You should be born old. Spend your first years resting. See all your aches and pains disappear. Start working as the boss. Be under less pressure. Take fewer and fewer decisions. And then when you're in the prime of your life, you buy a Mercedes-Benz. And I wonder if, if that's true. I, I think Anna would have words for Mercedes-Benz about the prime of life. I think Anna's, Anna's name means grace. And so the question I want to ask today is, how can the grace of God help us grow older graciously, not cynically? Because I realize in, in the 21st century, we're getting more cynical, much younger. And so I want to ask the question, how can the grace of God help us grow older graciously, not cynically? Now I'll point out three things. It, it exposes us, the grace of God exposes us, uh, the grace of God uh, equips us, and the grace of God enables us. Uh, so let's see. Uh, verse 36, uh, it says, And there was a prophetess, Anna, the daughter of Phanuel of the tribe of Asher. She was advanced in years, having lived with her husband seven years from when she was a virgin, and then as, a vid- as, then as a widow until she was 84. Now, before we look at Anna, I want to suggest to you that Anna exposes how we think about growing older. Uh, we don't often think well about aging. Uh, there's an entire anti-aging industry that's worth $63 billion right now. By 2030, it's going to be $100 billion. Uh, people uh, complain about growing older and they're nostalgic about when they were younger. I mean, I, I remember when I was young, uh, I couldn't wait to get older because I thought I would have more decision-making power. 
and I could go and buy ice cream whenever I want. Uh, but now that I'm older, I wonder, you know, I, I, I wish I knew some of the things I knew back then. You know, I wish, wish I knew how much heartache there would be in life, uh, how complicated things become, how much responsibility you have to manage, and all of these things. I wish I knew that when I was younger. Uh, we live in a time where, you know, the, the young are celebrated and the elderly are tolerated. You know, you just kind of have to endure them and be patient with them. Uh, every birthday, every new birthday feels like a burden. And it comes with consolations. Don't worry, the 30s are the new 20s, you know, and the, the 40s are the new 30s, and every decade has, has new consolation. Uh, and, and we have some legitimate and perceived fears about growing older, right? Physical health becomes more vulnerable. Uh, two weeks ago, I was prescribed uh, glasses. I'm still not getting used to them. Uh, care can become burdensome. Who's going to care for me when I grow older? Uh, you, 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 you've seen the movie Grumpy Old Men? And you fear, am I going to become like that? Am I going to become a grumpy old man? I feel like that in my 40s. I'm already grumpy. Uh, you're, and and, and you, you, you see, uh, you kind of fear that as you grow older, your tongue has fewer restrictions, right? Because there's, there's fewer filters. You don't care anymore what other people think anymore. Uh, and, and, and you can get more irrational in your thinking. You know, you, you wonder, am I going to become a superstitious? Am I going to say, don't eat this, don't eat that? You'll get this, you'll get that. Uh, and more, more, more important than anything else, you know, am I going to be lonely when I grow old? Am I still going to be relevant? Is still, are people still going to see me? Am I still going to be useful? But Anna exposes this bias and she disrupts it. You think about every Asian parent's dream, what is it? That my kids uh, get married, they have kids, uh, they settle down, and then their kids have kids and we have grandkids and we're all just happy. Anna is every Asian parent's nightmare. She's widowed, she's elderly, she's single, unmarried, childless. Every Asian parent's nightmare. This is a woman that so many would look away from or they won't even see her. She's invisible to them. No children, no grandchildren, no husband, no money, no real job in the real world. She's a prophetess. That's not a real job. And I want you to know, you may be in an Anna-like situation where the thing that once defined you now looks like it's destroying you. But I want you to know, you may be childless, you may be single, you may be unmarried, you may be widowed, oh, but you are not overlooked. You are not overlooked. I love the Bible for, for stories like Anna. Because of all of the material that uh, was available to the gospel writers, the Holy Spirit in his, all his editing said, I want you to tell the story of Anna. I want you to know that I saw her. She, because God sees the invisible people. And you may be all of these things or even more, but you are not overlooked. There's a set of eyes that is always on you. And I know what it's like living in big cities. I, I come from New Delhi. I have to be honest, Singapore is like a little village compared to New Delhi. We have 25 million plus people. All right, so, uh, but I know what it's like living in a city full of people and being invisible to all of them. But I want you to know God sees you and any anti-aging bias has no basis in scripture.
God sees you, you are not overlooked. But Anna exemplifies how to grow older without getting cynical. See, to be cynical is to be bitter with God and to be bitter with people. Un untrusting, suspicious, and ultimately self-isolated and alone. And C.S. Lewis once said, you know, when, when life becomes difficult, the tendency is not to think that God does not exist. The tendency is to think that God exists and this is what he's like. He's mean. His intentions are not good. He can't be trusted. We have to look away. But to what? Look away to what? And you think about it, if anyone has reason to be cynical, if anyone has just reason to be cynical, it's Anna. You know, she starts her life like a dream. She's, uh, she's young, she gets married, she has seven years of marriage, and then this dream turns into a nightmare. You know, and, and uh, if you think about her time, a widow and her time, was economically, relationally, socially finished. She's got no more social utility, no more social identity. She's invisible now. It's all gone. And you think about it in the 21st century, something comparable might be career suicide. You know, somebody does something so stupid that everyone in that industry looks at them and says, there is no coming back from this. There is no way back. He's done. It's over. That's where Anna is. If anyone has reason to be cynical, it's Anna. She could have turned bitter, and this is what bitterness does. Once bitterness gets in you, it's like a sweet poison. You know, you, 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 you love it, but it's killing you. It's like, this is what, it's what rattlesnakes do when they get cornered. You know, when rattlesnakes get cornered, they get so angry, they start biting themselves. That's what cynicism is like. That's what the language of bitterness is like. We're biting ourselves. And I think of someone else, elderly, uh, successful, everything that Anna is not, who ended his life cynically. His name is Sigmund Freud, a famous psychologist. In one of the letters he writes to, his, uh, to, a, to a Lutheran priest, he says this, I have found little that is good about human beings on the whole. In my experience, most of them are trash. No matter whether they publicly subscribe to this or that ethical doctrine or to none at all. That's the sound of cynicism. And Freud ultimately died friendless in broken fellowship with all of his followers. Anna lived better than Freud died. And Anna exposes this bias that, uh, no, 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 to, there, is no anti, there is no basis for an anti-aging bias in scripture. But the second thing that, that the grace of God does is that it equips us. It equips us. Uh, verse 37, she did not depart from the temple, worshipping with fasting and prayer night and day. She did not depart from the temple, worshipping with fasting and prayer night and day. More than 84 years are summarized in these two beautiful verses. It's amazing. And Anna gives us an imagination of how we can grow old graciously, not cynically. She's a prophetess. That means she knows and she declares God's will to his people. She's the daughter of a man named Fanuel. Fanuel means face of God. And she's a living example of David's longing in the Psalms. In the Psalms, David longs to, uh, expresses the longing. He says, one thing I ask of the Lord. This is what I seek. That I may dwell in the house of the Lord all the days of my life. To gaze upon the beauty of the Lord and to seek him in his temple. 
For David, there was a longing. For Anna, that was her life. That was literally her life. She's a living embodiment of that longing. And there's two things I want to point out through how, how specifically God's grace equips us. God ex- God's grace equi- equips us to be devoted to God's people. She did not depart from the temple. For us, the temple is not a physical place. The temple is a visible people. It's what you see around you. To be devoted to the temple is to be devoted to one another. When Anna had no family, God's people became her family. To be, temp- to be devoted to the temple is to be devoted to God's purposes that are accomplished together with God's people, in communion with one another. And I love how nature gives us beautiful pictures of what this might look like. Uh, some of the tallest trees in the world are called the Northern Californian Redwoods. Uh, one Furama city center is equal to two redwoods, one on top of the other. Some, some can reach even up to 35 stories tall. They're incredibly tall trees. And you would think that the tallest trees in the world must have the deepest roots. But the redwoods aren't like that. The redwoods have roots that go down just five to six feet deep. But they go wide. They go up to a hundred feet wide from the trunk. And all the redwoods roots are intertwined across this root system so that they provide stability to one another and they share nutrients with one another. That's how the tallest trees in the world stand firm, because they stand together. If you are in community, if you are devoted to God's people, and you see around you and you recognize, even if I have no family, even if I have no family, even I'm uh, without a husband or a wife, childless, uh, without any of these things, in this family, you can find brothers, You can find sisters, you can find fathers, you can find sons, you can find mothers, you can find daughters, all over the world. All over the world. The church is the largest and the most diverse family in human history. There's never been anything like it. There'll never be anything like it again. This is the most beautiful gift we have. And if you enjoy this, if you devote yourself to this, As the years go by, you will be more joyful, not cynical. You'll be more thankful, more grateful. But God's grace equips us also to be devoted to God's glory. Anna is a worshiper. She's a worshiper. In spite of everything that's happened to her, she turns to God. She doesn't turn against him. She's joyful, she's grateful, she's not complaining or bitter. In verse 38 we see that she's giving thanks to God and speaking, to him, speaking of him to all who are waiting for the redemption of Jerusalem. And she's disciplined in self-control. Look at this, she's fasting and prayer. She's, she's worshipping with fasting and prayer night and day. She's disciplined and self-controlled. You know, I, I remember when I was young, they would talk about religion as being... Uh, uh, an instrument of thought control. You know, today I think that this is the instrument of thought control. You know, and what, what, Jude, what Jesus does, what the gospel does, is that he gives you self-control. And Anna is a picture of self-control, a life that's self-controlled and disciplined. And if you, one of the ways to think of worship is to describe it as, as a holy fascination 
with God's glory. You just want God to have supreme value and supreme worth in your life and in the universe. It's your captivating desire. No other glory, no other glory can compare with it or compete with it. Nothing else. And you think about all these things that Anna didn't have, marriage, uh, children, or success, or fame, and you think about all the things we crave for, beauty and popularity and all of these things. Uh, They're all good things, and they all have something that Paul Tripp calls sign glory. Sign glory. They have a glory that draws you in, that makes them captivating to you, but they only serve as signs to point to a greater glory. And the problem with human beings is, we turn these signs into substitutes. And we see, we, we're captivated by them, we're drawn in by them, but we don't want the thing that it points to. We say, this is, this is what I want, and if I don't have this, then I have nothing. And if I don't have this, I am nothing. Now Anna, Anna never enjoyed the sign glories that, that we all crave. She never had the marriage, she never had the, uh, the, long, uh, the, the long life partner, she didn't have the children or the grandchildren, oh, but she knew the greater glory. She had the glory to which all of these sign glories point to. And you can have that too. You can have that too. You may never, you may never, no, none of us will all get every sign glory that we seek, but we'll only feel cynical if, they, if those signs became substitutes. But if we see the thing to which those signs point, we'll know that we have access to that greater glory when you go back home and you close the door and you're in your secret place where the creator of the universe and the ruler of all things sits with you in that space and fills that room with his glory. And your little room turns into a temple. And you are a worshiper. So the cynic will always and easily turn against God instead of turning to him. The worshiper will always turn to God no matter how difficult it is, no matter how despairing it is. And Bible writers are full of broken-hearted worshippers, not superficial hallelujahs. You know, the best, uh, the best songwriters, they sing out of broken hearts and uh, tear-stained faces. The Psalms are like that. These songs, tear-stained faces, not forced smiles or grin and bear it spirits. Now here Taylor Swift is coming to Singapore. You know, she knows a thing or two about redemption. Some of her best songs have come from her, from her worst times. And the hymns are like that. The best of hymns come from the worst of times. And scripture is full of this. Scripture understands that life is broken, life is hard, life is difficult. But out of this brokenness can come great worship when you see the greater glory. The last time I was here in September was when Ray Ortland was here. And Ray Ortland is a living rebuke to anyone who's young and cynical. You know, he, I was a 40-year-old, uh, 42-year-old then, and uh, he made me feel old. That was a joke among us. The, how is this uh, elderly man making us feel old? He has this childlike wonder about the promises of Jesus. If there is an inner cynic in Ray Ortland, it's probably died and given its life to Christ. And just, okay, I give up. I can't, I can't get you down. But his ministry gives you hope that you can, it, it is possible to grow old graciously and be more captivated by Christ in the years to come than in the years gone by. But finally, uh, the grace of God uh, enables us. 
It enables us. Verse 38. And coming up at that very hour, she began to give thanks to God and speak of him to all who were waiting for the redemption of Jerusalem. Now, this is in the context of the birth of Christ. Anna is an eyewitness uh, to the baby Jesus. But ultimately, if you look at Anna, Anna's graciousness comes from her confidence in God's redemptive power. She speaks of him to all who are waiting for the redemption of Jerusalem. And as a prophetess, that means she trusts God's word and she teaches God's promises. She looks back on what God has proclaimed in the, in, in the Old Testament and she looks forward to the coming of the Messiah, God's promises. And she's able to grow old graciously because her confidence is in, this God's, in, in God's redemptive power. Now what do you see when you look back in the Old Testament? You see that God's creation also began like a dream. It's this beautiful dream of a garden and people. But very quickly, God's perfect dream turned into a nightmare. And the people he trusted broke his trust and violated his trust. If anyone has reason to be cynical, if anyone has reason to be bitter and vindictive, it's our creator who made us and watched us turn away from him. But see, Anna knows from the Old Testament that our God is gracious and compassionate, slow to anger, and abounding in faithful love. And he promises us a Redeemer, that a Redeemer is coming. Anna's confidence is in this Redeemer. And here she is. She's laying her eyes on him. She's seen it. She's seen the fulfillment of her longing, of all of her waiting. And that's ultimately her confidence. But if you think about it, see, our confidence, our confidence in redemption should be much greater than Anna's confidence because our knowledge of redemption is much deeper than Anna's. We know more things than Anna did. She was there at Jesus' birth, but I don't know if she was there at Jesus' death. So we know things today that Anna didn't know in her lifetime. And we must ask, what does waiting for redemption look like for us? And it means two things. It changes the way we look back. It changes the way we look forward. If you look back, if, and the cynic knows how to do this. The cynic looks back and the cynic looks forward. But when, it looks, when the cynic looks back, they just see all the bad things that happen to them. And when they look forward, they anticipate all the worst things that are going to happen. So we know how to look back and look forward. But redemption means we look back further. We look back further from what happened to us. And we look back further to what happened to Christ. We look back at the finished work of Christ. Uh, Tish Harrison Warren writes about how uh, there's a line from a sermon that, that's uh, stuck with her. Uh, and, and this is what it said. You can't trust God to keep bad things from happening to you. You can't trust God to keep bad things from happening to you. And I knew that. So when bad things happened to her, she didn't lose her trust in God because that's not what she trusted him for in the first place. But it begs the question, if I can't trust God to keep bad things from happening to me, then why should I trust him? And in the same book, uh, uh, Tisha Warren tells a story of a couple who send their uh, child into surgery. And she writes how in the most vulnerable and uh, human moments of our lives, like sending a child into surgery, doctrine is unavoidable. It's unavoidable. So this couple is talking about it and she, the wife says to her husband, we have to decide right now whether God is good or not. 
Because if we don't, if we wait to see what will happen, we will always put God on trial. We have to decide right now whether we decide whether whether God is good or not. And if we decide on God's goodness, how how do we decide whether God is good based on what experience, on which human beings' experience will be based this on? And the the only the the best answer to that question is that the best reason to trust God is that God did not keep bad things from happening to Himself or to His Son. See, the, 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 the only true measure of God's goodness is what happened to Jesus, not what happens to us. We cannot measure God's goodness by what happens to us. We must measure God's goodness by what happened to Jesus because in that cross, he is displaying his love for those. He's, he's keeping his promises to people who will break their promises to him. He's demonstrating his love to people who have turned their backs to him. And, and, and I want you to know, what, what you th- this, this may sound harsh, but I want you to know this. What you think is the worst thing that has happened to you may not be the worst thing that has happened to you. The worst thing that could happen to you is that you are separated from God, alienated from Him, and without any access to Him. And Jesus endured the worst thing. Because on the cross, He cries out, My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? He is forsaken by God so that no matter what happens to you in this life, one thing will not happen to you. You will not be left. You will not be abandoned. You will not be forsaken. That will not happen to you. And that's how we know. We look back and we see the finished work of Christ. So let's define God's goodness less by what happens to us. And let's define God's goodness by what happened to Jesus. It will make you more joyful and less cynical every new day of your life. And you wake up every morning and you tell yourself his mercies are new every morning. But let me close with this. Redemption looks also forward to the return of Christ. The cynic looks forward and sees all the things that might go wrong for them. But the worshiper looks forward, looks all the way to the end, to the return of Christ. Now we don't know when, we don't know if Anna was alive when Jesus died, but we know that because Jesus died... Anna is now more alive than she ever was before. And can you imagine when she's in the new creation and she's being told that her story is going to be in the Gospels and that someday in Singapore some people are going to hear her story and they're going to be thrilled about it? I mean, can you imagine the joy in her face? She's vindicated. All her waiting is vindicated. And one day all our waiting will be vindicated. What does our waiting for Jesus look like? See, Paul gives us a picture in Ephesians. He says, And you also were included in Christ when you heard the message of the truth, the gospel of your salvation. When you believed, you were marked in him with a seal, the promised Holy Spirit, who is a deposit guaranteeing our inheritance until the redemption of those who are God's possession to the praise of his glory. One of the many things that the Holy Spirit does is that he gives us an imagination of future anticipation that will help us endure any immediate present adversity. He gives us an imagination of the future that will help us endure anything that we're facing in the present. There are, there are days, uh, I'm a pastor, and I don't know if I'm allowed to say this, but there are days I don't read the Bible. There are days I, 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 I'm, I'm heavy, I'm dry, I don't read the Bible, I don't engage with Scripture, I, uh, I don't know uh, if I, I don't go uh, with a sitting down and having time with uh, God in prayer. Uh, but I can tell you one thing, there's not one day that goes by 
that I don't imagine the new creation, that I don't give thanks for the fact that I'm going to one day see Jesus face to face and I'm going to live in a renewed creation. And I want to tell you this because, uh, you know, one of the movies, one of the kinds of movies I'm fascinated with is time travel. And I've always wondered if I have a time machine, you know, where would, where, where would I go back? Where, what would I do? And over the years, I've realized the, my answer to that question is I'm not going back one minute in my life. I'm not going back one minute in my life. And I've had terrible things happen to me. I've grown up in a dysfunctional family. Uh, my mother passed away two years ago, just at the beginning of second wave. Our church went through the second wave and all kinds of things. I've had terrible things happen to me. But you can't drag me back five minutes in time to change anything. Do you know why? Because I'm closer to seeing Jesus face to face now than I was two seconds ago. And I'm not going back. I only want to look forward. And that ultimately is the, the secret portion for growing older graciously, to know that every new day, every new minute, I'm closer to seeing Jesus face to face than I was ever before. You can't drag me back two seconds. And I, and I think about, you think about Anna, and I think about all of her longing and all of her faith for uh, 84 years and more. Finally, her faith became sight. And you think about this, it's just staggering to think about how when Anna uh, first saw Jesus, he was a baby. He die, she, uh, she dies maybe a few years later and the next time she, she sees him, he's a full-grown man in all of his glory. Like, what just happened? I just saw you, you were a baby. But there is going to be a delight in our hearts. There is going to be a vindication in our hearts when finally our faith becomes sight. And if we live with that future anticipation, we can endure any present adversity. And my prayer for you is that as you grow older, uh, you will become more joyful, more grateful, uh, and less cynical because you fix your eyes on Jesus and define God's goodness by what happened to him for you. Let's pray. Father, we want to give thanks to you, Lord, for your goodness to us in all things at all times. We thank you for this beautiful story, uh, for this beautiful person, Anna, Lord. And we thank you, Lord, for this hope that we have, Lord, that uh, in a world where as people grow older, they tend to get more cynical and uh, uh, bitter, Lord, you have given us hope, Lord, that with every new day, we can become more joyful, more grateful, more thankful, uh, because we see more clearly your goodness to us in all things at all times. We ask all this in Jesus' name. Amen. You've been listening to a sermon podcast from Redemption Hill Church. You can find more of our sermons online at www.rhc.org.sg.